0: Sarah
1: McCormack. My name is Brian Fury. My name is Nicola Duncan. My name is Zach Hanna. My name is Mark Ryan. I'm a mountain runner. I'm a mountain runner. I'm a mountain runner. I'm a mountain runner. runner. Hi, my name is Harriet and I'm a mountain runner. You're listening to Trail Running Ireland. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. time for our feature interview this week with Moira O'Sullivan. Where do I begin with an introduction for Moira? A much-loved and respected member of the mountain running community, Moira was the first person to complete the Wicklow Round within 24 hours. The Wicklow Round, which of course is 100 kilometers over 26 of Ireland's remotest mountain peaks. She showed her incredible inner strength again in becoming a national mountain running champion on two occasions, and a three-time National Adventure Race Series winner, while breastfeeding and bringing up two young sons and she has had to use all that strength and determination more than ever over the last two years after the passing of her husband pete moira has just released her latest book a quarter glass of milk which tells us about her journey over the last two years when she needed the mountains and the running community more than ever it's a real pleasure to welcome moira o'sullivan oh thanks very much for having me it's a real pleasure. Great to have you on board with us and more. I was thinking about the interview today and, and I just thought that it must be a very strange time at the minute for you because on the one hand you you must be very proud of finishing off another book, your fourth book and um, 80,000 words I think you said that were more or less in it um, and all the excitement of releasing a book and promoting a book but then at the same time, every interview that you do is going to bring you back to, to a sad time when you lost your husband, Pete. So I'm just wondering how you're, you're coping with the emotional roller coaster of that great pride of producing another book, but then also going back to that maybe sad time that, that you and your family experienced.
0: I quite like doing the interviews because when somebody dies and especially if they've died by suicide if you you can't bring them up in daily conversation often if I mention Pete to somebody they don't know what to say back to me so it's been brilliant to have the book there for people to be able to hear about Pete and and for his memory to live on and I actually I've always loved talking about Pete I'm super proud of him I'm really glad that we got to have over 10 years together so it's been I, I look forward to these interviews that I get to talk about him in our life together.
1: Sure it's a nice chance to go back down memory lane maybe.
0: Yeah it is I think also it's interesting I never set out to be an author uh, my degrees in chemistry <laughs> yeah. I used to work uh, with concern in the developing world as a manager This was never part of the plan, but it seems like I keep on having things in life where my first book was Mud, Sweat and Tears, and that was after I had failed the Wicklow Round and then the second time I managed to get around. And I felt like I wanted to write that book because people were saying, oh God, the Wicklow Round sounds horrible. Like it's so long and it's so many mountains, 26 mountains, and it's a hundred and something kilometers And I was kind of like, well, no, I actually, yes, it was kind of hard, but there's an awful lot of good out of it. Like you get to be out in the mountain all day and you get to go and see them all. And I love doing the reccees and you get to see the sunrises, the sunsets, the moon. And I wanted to write down about a different perspective about the Wicklow Round. And my second book, Bump, Bike and Baby, you know, I had a lot of people around me who were saying, God, I love being a mom. It's just so wonderful. And baby's so cute. And I was just like, Oh my God, I hate being pregnant. These babies. Yes. I felt very, very protective for my children, but I was like, this is an awful lot of milk and shite lads. Mm. And realizing it took about, you know, having, giving birth and realizing your body is pretty kaput afterwards, you know, Uh, And that you've got to rebuild it all back again, and in a way, you know, I really, I, I, I wish I hadn't been in the position where I had to write this latest book, A Quarter Glass of Milk. I wish Pete was still here alive, and I was scratching around for book ideas. But I felt it was important to write down and say, well, this is what happens when a partner takes their own life. And yeah. this is the chaos that happens. And hopefully somebody will pick it up who has sometimes suicidal thoughts and think, God, I would never want to put my loved ones through that. Never. And, but equally those who who have lost somebody they love to suicide, I hope they'll pick it up and say, well, these are the small things that helped Maura. It was for me getting back, doing something I loved, which was being in the mountains. And it yeah. was have, being around people who loved and supported me, which I found was the mountain community. So all these books, I never meant to read, them, write them. It was just that I found my experience was slightly different from the normal narrative. Yeah,
1: and all the, the books have these wonderful, great names. Worry you mentioned Mud, Sweat and Tears. Um bunk, bike and and baby and the hound from Hanoi as well. And this latest book is called A Quarter Glass of Milk. And maybe could you talk us through what that title means?
0: Yeah, it was, you know, even within a couple of days of Pete passing away, I was, remember talking to a friend and saying, you know, I feel like a couple of months ago, he'd only been uh, sick for about six months. I said, a couple of months ago, I felt like I really had a full glass of milk, like everything was going well. We, you know, we had, we'd wanted children and we got two amazing boys and they were healthy. And we were in a place that we really liked to live. And we had a home and we had work that we liked and we were, everything was stable. And then within a couple of months, the glass was just tipped over. And uh, I just see all this milk spilt everywhere. I'm like, I know I'm not meant to cry over spilt milk, but all I wanted to do was sob. And then it was as if now within those couple, first few days, I realized that the glass, you know, was righted. I was still here. The boys were still there. And I could see there was a little bit left. It wasn't like there was half-half that we had to think, oh, well, you know, maybe look on the bright side. Like, there was about a quarter left. Like three-quarters was drained away whenever Pete took his life. And all yeah. I could say was, well, what I, you know, do I weep forever over that three-quarters that have been spilt, or do I get on with a quarter that's remaining? And I heard it put another way is that, you know, when you have such a tragedy, do you th- sit around and think, why me? Or do you start thinking, what now? And I think that is a choice we all face when we, we face, we have a big tragedy or loss in our lives.
1: Yeah. And isn't it maybe a choice more that a lot of people are facing this year with the whole pandemic as well, um, where maybe people haven't, haven't experienced such loss as you did. But a lot of people have lost businesses. A lot of people have lost loved ones and family members. Their lives have been turned upside down. But as you said with the title of the book, that we still have some milk left in our glass, that we can still be grateful for a lot of things in life, despite the fact that we can't get out and train more than five kilometres from our house, um, certainly in the Republic anyway. Um, mm-hmm. Up to do what is that at the minute? Are you free to get out and train?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And now, to be honest, I, I can get onto the Mourn Way in five minutes
1: from my front door, so I've not really tested any rules.
0: But no, we're, we can we don't have the same restrictions as down south.
1: Yeah, but I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a great message that, that the book has, and especially this year um, in 2020 and 2021. And you, you mentioned more the great support that you found in the running community but also in the mountains themselves. And maybe there's two different questions there. How did the running community help you? And then how did the mountains themselves, nature, how did that help you over the, the 12 months following Pete's death?
0: Um, I'd say, you've, you talked about the running community. Um, I'd say running, for me initially was a great, not the community, running itself was a great disappointment. In a way, whenever I, back when I started mountain running when I was my my 30s, my early 30s, I had had been living in Kenya for a long time and I ended up back in Dublin, you know, I had a new job. um, I had a new home. I didn't have many friends in Dublin or anything. And when I got into the EMRA and the mountain running community, I found that, um, I found my place, I found running helped me to see new places, get to new people. It was there for me and it provided a new challenge for me to, to just get a sense of identity. And then whenever I had children, running was just everything for me to be able to, you know, if you have children under the age of three, definitely they are 24 seven care. And Mm -hmm just the ability to get away for one hour and go for a run was everything to me and to be able to train. And so running and biking and keeping fit was that respite from being all of a sudden a full-time mom. But whenever Pete died, running wasn't there for me. What would happen when I go out for a run and the first time I went for a run after Pete died, I had a panic attack. And because I had kept so many emotions, so many feelings, so many worries, all under wraps inside the house at the wake. And as soon as I went out for a quick run, the floodgates opened and all those, those thoughts just bombarded me and I couldn't breathe. And it meant that the idea of running Scared the hell out of me because I knew that that was actually could be a place where I could have a thought which I just wasn't ready for. Um, yeah, so and, and
1: I saw one of your Facebook posts. I think was it during the summertime. More that one of your great friends, Paul Mahan, really had to help you out one day. The two of us had to dig deep in the Mourn Mountain Marathon, where exactly what you were describing there happened. You were in the Mourn Mountain Marathon race but just became overwhelmed with emotion and anxiety. And it was Paul that helped get you get to through it. I think that day. Yeah, It was this, it was the stress of racing. You know, ultimately we all
0: understand as athletes that there's lots of stresses that we have. It's the stress of work, the stress of family, you know, positive and negative, but the stress of training. And then for me, racing was just one too many stress for me to deal with. And I, I like I when I got I went to the Moor mountain marathon people were saying you know how do you think you'll get on and I said the fact that I'm at the start line lads after all I've gone through that's my victory that's what I'm even amazed by but I wasn't confident enough to enter a race where I'm racing on my own I haven't I haven't adventure raced since Pete died because I I can't actually handle that stress but the mountain marathon it's a two-person team and paul's been and his partner hillary have been just wonderful they are at the end of the phone for me if i call them right now they would pick up uh, yeah. if, I, if i said i'm having problems they would literally drive four hours to where i am now yeah. and that's the kind of friendship which comes out of being in the mountains with people and so sure. when i had that panic attack in the mountain marathon he just was like Okay, let's just cool it. It's all right. Put away your map. Just, just let's get rounds. Let's get this next thing, and then we'll deal with it later. And um, totally understand. And I'm
1: curious, more just to, to try and understand where the stress came from. Did the stress of competing come from the fact that you were so successful before, and you had this pressure that oh, everybody thinks to be fighting for a podium here. I'm going to be looking for the win, and I'm just not ready for that. Or, or was it the stress of I don't know, maybe Pete not being there, not being there, looking after the kids while you're out racing? What were the different triggers that was causing that discomfort while you were racing?
0: Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. That um, that I'm not. People are surprised that I'm not able to race as hard as I could, or maybe it's in my yeah. own mind. Um, so I found great solace. In going orienteering instead, because you know you set off at two minute gaps, and nobody knows how well you're doing until they see the the, the board maybe later, and it's, late, it's it's you're already home by the time you see the results. So nobody asks you how you've done. Whilst if you're out there competing, or everyone's starting at the same time, everyone knows how well you, or badly you've done. So yes, there is that. But also, you know, oh, I'm 45. I'm a single mother. I'm a widow, and and I have every responsibility of a household that normally should be shared with two.
1: Yeah. And,
0: um, I'm the sole breadwinner. All those things. Uh, I'm not looking for pity, but it's it's a lot. It's a lot. Yes. Yeah. And it wasn't what I expected in life, and that's fine because sometimes you don't realise what's best for you, and you know I've I've grown from this. But it doesn't mean that it wasn't hard.
1: Talk to us about the Mourne Mountains, more because I must admit I've never been to them, but I've heard so <laughs> many wonderful. I know, you? and I've heard so many wonderful things about them. Um, Zach Hanna, who you know, shared a couple of Irish teams with. He he, he tells me he's in the most days training. I, I see his social media posts, and I, I know that you have a, a super company in the base in the Mourne Mountains as well. Tell us about the War Mountains. Tell, tell me how good they are. And, and you know, I look forward to visit, visiting them as soon as I can.
0: Well, you know, the, one of the top mountain running class, clubs here is Newcastle AC. And I know if they head south towards Cairntool or Lugnacoola, yeah. <laughs> em- down south, start to shake. Um, like the, the climbs can be just so steep and so rocky it's just a fantastic area to be able to train because also we have, it's a good thing and a bad thing. We also have the Mourn Wall. Yeah. And it means that even if it is not great weather, we can still get out and have the shelter of the wall to go up the big climbs and not be too worried about navigation. Um, I remember talking to Aoife Mondo about her Kerry Ultra record And she, a couple of months beforehand, had gone around the Dennis Rankin round here, which is the equivalent of the Wicklow round um, Mm -hmm. in in Wicklow. And she smashed the record um, in the Dennis Rankin round and then went on to the the Kerry Ultra and smashed that record too. And she basically said it was because of all the time she'd spent in the mornings wrecking the Dennis Rankin round route. So I think time and time again, you're seeing that they're a great training area, but also they're very compact, so you can get quite quickly... Between um, a lot of peaks, um, and yeah, no, and they're they're fantastic. They are very beautiful.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you about it later on, Maura, but as we're talking about the Mourne Mountains now, and um, tell me about your company, Happy Out Adventures, and how that has gone since Peter's passed. I mean, do you have the time and the energy to? to put your time and effort into it? Has it been on pause over the last 12 months with the pandemic? What are your plans around Happy Out Adventures? Because it looks like a a wonderful, wonderful company for people who want to learn more about how to run and walk and trek in the mountains.
0: When you get to a certain age, you realize you can't keep up with lots of people. So if you can't do, you teach. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, you know, I've... I've been very fortunate to, in 2006, whenever I was living in Dublin, that I was able to go out with the likes of Paul Mahan, one of my good friends, also Andrew McCarthy. And because I would tail around with them, they taught me how to read a map and compass. And it was, you know, they say it takes 10,000 hours to really master a skill. And they gave me those 10,000 hours. Mm. And I feel like, you know, for the sake of bringing people out for a couple of hours to teach them the skills so that they can start exploring the mountains. It's, I I love teaching people. I love seeing the pennies drop in their brains when they understand what a contour is, when they understand that you just follow the needle. It's, it's wonderful to be able to let people understand all that. And I just, when I say goodbye to people at the end of the training courses, I just... I'm jealous of the adventures they're going to just start having, and it's been lovely to be then bump into people at, after races, and they go, "Oh my god, we well, you know we found our way to this control, and we did we use that trick trick you told us, and that's worth this weight in gold." So yeah. I love I love doing like I do basic navigation courses, and then more advanced ones for people who want like the tactics. I love yeah. I love navigation tactics, and but then also a lot of people want to do recce's of the Dennis Rankin round, and I've done it twice. So um, I'm happy enough to show people the way and to kind of give them tips about nutrition and, you know, um, where to pick up the best chips for the stop at Dam, And, you know, it's, and then some people just want to, you know, have people coming from Scotland and They said, we just want to go for a Run the Mourns and some, we just don't have the time to, to yeah. work out routes. Um, And then also some people have contacted me and they're just people who live around the area and they say, look, I've got some kids and I really like to bring them some the but I have no idea where to go. I have no idea what to bring. And I can, you know, over a simple four hours, I can teach them the basics so that they can actually get out there and be safe for their family. So for me, it's very much, I really love giving people some skills so that they can get out there and enjoy the mountains because we are super, super lucky in Ireland you know, I've lived, I've lived in Vietnam where there's landmines. If you go running in the mountains, I've lived in Nepal where you can't, during the monsoon season, the, play, the, the, the trails are like ice rinks and they're covered in leeches and I hate leeches very much. Yeah. You get, and then you, there's certain places you can't run because, you know, the altitude goes up too fast um, and there's the associated danger with that. You know, there's places where it's just, the mountains where there's snow six months of the year, we are so lucky in Ireland that we have mountains who get into all year round and that they are safe. There's no wild animals. And it's and we have mountain rescue services in case anything goes wrong. We are so lucky. And for the sake of having a couple of skills to be able to get out there, you know, we really need to, to, to use those resources.
1: Well, best of luck with the company. And I'm sure... You're, you're dying for a life to get back to, to normal and to, to have all those tours and have lots of races going on and have groups going up to you. And hopefully the business will flourish over the next couple of years.
0: I, you know, I kind of like keeping it simple, you know, um, I like, I keep like my groups just down to three uh, when we do training courses, because I really like kind of the banter. And like, I like the, the, when people feel comfortable that they can, ask whatever questions they want. So I'm not looking for big numbers and growth. I like pottering along and I like having quality time in the mountains with people and helping them get to the goal that they want. So, you know, I'm not looking, uh, there's there's no great ambitions.
1: <laughs> okay. And Laura, any ambitions to go back competing like you did, say, 10 years ago? And maybe we could go back in time to Moira, who was just starting off running. You had been in Kenya, as you mentioned, for a couple of years, and you weren't there altitude training or or learning how to run with the Kenyans. You you were there doing very important work. But you came back, and within a couple of years, you became a a three-time national champion. You were doing super in all types of mountain and trail running races. Um, And before maybe we get back to what the future holds for you, Is there, what what tips, what training tips, what advice can you give to people listening? And especially maybe female listeners who are starting off on their journey in trail running races and mountain races. What were the key aspects of your training, even your diet, if you want to throw that in? Anything you want to throw into the mix that helped you become that great athlete? Um. So 2006, 2009,
0: when I was, around Dublin Wicklow um and got into mountain running and I didn't really have any much of a training plan or anything it was more kind of going out with other ra- people who were running you know I, I was there was other it was really quite a social thing you know and I so I would prefer to talk about rounds where 2013 so I yeah. left I left Ireland 20, 2009 because of the Celtic Tiger um uh, d- disappearing and then I came back and I had my first child and I knew that in order to get back after having a baby I needed to have a coach so literally six weeks after having my firstborn I started off with a guy called Amon Tilly who would be more um triathlon but he also does you know but he's he's quite a jack of all trades um and he um he kind of gave me better discipline about training. And I think especially if you go and talk about females, yes, we have babies and there are associated issues around um, whenever you you're you have that, that physical change. So particularly where, you know, you've got your core gets gets, gets kind of blown up, uh, mm-hmm. blown apart when you're having a baby and, you know, you have associated issues around pelvic floor. He actually spent an awful lot of time um, doing strength conditioning for me. It was definitely, it was like three times a week, straight away, lots of planks, lots of lunges, lots of, lots of squats. And he really got me much stronger than I would have been without a coach.
1: Okay.
0: Particularly with having, after having baby and also because then just the, the lack of time, I really helped having a coach who basically I just didn't have the time to think about what should I do now should I go for a run should I go for a bike should I walk and he would literally say okay today you're doing a 70 minute run with intervals 30 seconds higher heart rate 90 seconds off or whatever and I wouldn't have to think about what I have to do because he was not only telling me what to do on a day-to-day basis but he had the bigger picture of the periodization over a six-week block Plus also he had my, the races that I wanted to do already in, a, in the timetable so that he knew then when to taper. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not very good at, at, at knowing what I should do for myself. I can't self-train. I just I don't have the time or energy to work that one out. Yeah. So he does it for me. So there's, I really have benefited from having a coach um, yeah. who keeps an eye on things because also the one thing he was really good at, which I really needed, was if I was not well, he would say don't train, and if I was uh, had an injury, he would say don't train. And I think a lot of people, a lot of athletes, think, oh, I should just go out for a run, you know, or you know, or I should do something. And that guilt was—he took that guilt away from me, which was great. And nowadays, um, I so during the lockdown because I didn't have, uh, I, I didn't have childcare. I haven't today. So we're March, 2021. I have run three times this year and I have instead been doing an awful lot of indoor bike work. So a lot of cadence work, really high cadence work, which then translates over to really high cadence when running. And I've been doing an awful lot of indoor rowing and the strength on that. It's funny because, because now whenever I go over rough terrain on the mountains, Mm. I basically bounce because I'm so used to having that that impact of the on the pushing effect of the indoor rowing, which actually
1: makes makes me very bouncy on bog. I can hear more as you're speaking that that determination in your voice and in what you're describing that champions have. And, And it's wonderful to hear because despite everything that's happened, you're still training so hard. And maybe that's where my question came from about the future was that it seems that you have this innate drive and determination in you to to be the best that you can be. Now, I know at the start of the conversation, we were speaking about those tough days in the the Moor and Mountain Marathon and getting back racing. But do you think that when things will settle down when the kids are all back out in school, when the book publishing promotional tour is finished, what do you think will make you happy in the future in the mountains? Will it be just training and enjoying being in the mountains or do you have a a need to compete and to be the best that you can be?
0: I think I've been very lucky, Owen, um, that, you know, I had this thing where in my thirties, whenever I had the Wicklow round or on my, in my sights, I really had that burning need to figure, to, to prove to myself, prove myself to myself. Yeah. And I think that's why when I didn't get round the first time, I was so devastated. But going back at the second time, I felt at peace. And equally, whenever I... Um, whenever I signed up with Eamon and I had my first baby and then my second one, I was really curious at that stage, how good could I get? And I was at that time I was living, I was living in Derry. So there's not a lot of mountains around. So I was doing those, the one person adventure races, um, which involved mountain running, road biking and kayaking. And I was really focused and saying, well, how good can I be at this? And, um, that was that was really interesting Uh, it wasn't that I wanted to win because there was definitely one of the the best races I ever did was where I came third and I had to really dig deep and that's the one actually one I remember um, because I realized then that I could dig deep whenever I wasn't uh, I was just wasn't as good as the other girls and I was really pleased with that I don't do I? Am I making myself sound old? But forty-five. <laughs> I'm just really glad I'm a vet now.
1: Yeah, oh, <laughs> Don't i had the exact to... same feeling, Moira. When I went forty <laughs> last year, I said, "Yeah, I'll be happy out competing um, in vet races um, if it makes life a little bit easier for me, training and racing wise." So I totally understand where you're coming from, <laughs> um, and it, it may, maybe is that a target for you to yeah to be to be the top lady in the over forties category or whatever it might be. You know, I think
0: I've kind of done it that and I've kind of figured out how good I can be and what it takes to be that. Okay. And, and that's cool. It's like, I am at peace with that. And yeah. now what I've come to realize is I love spending time out in the mountains with other people and the rounds are brilliant for that. And I loved I did the winter Dennis Rankin round in January, 2019. And Paul came with me and we got other people to join on sections. And we did it a year after Pete's passing as a memorial to him that a long run in the mountains. It, it was a bit like darkness into Light, the 5k movement, which is so popular in Ireland. It was like that on steroids, just over yeah. 90 kilometers and 39 mountains. And for me, we had a great day out. You know, I had the likes of Billy Reed running alongside me and Denise Mathers. And it was just, we had a super day. And for me, I did a, a summer Dennis Rankin round and it was 21 hours 24. And the winter, and I did that was solo. And when I did the winter one with the uh, 14, 15 hours of darkness, we had some seriously not very nice weather for the last six hours. We did twenty one, twenty four, exactly the same time as my solo summer one, and that I put down to the fact that it was a whole pile of us and it was a group effort.
1: Are the details of that in the book more in a quarter glass? Yeah, so
0: yes, no, quarter glass of milk. The last six chapters are about my winter Dennis Rankin mount
1: brilliant okay well, then we'll invite the listeners to, to get themselves a copy so to, to, to get into the detail because I'd love to ask you about the detail of how you got through those 20 plus hours running uh, what your nutritional strategy was what shoes you were wearing what training you did beforehand but we'll, we'll leave it for the book well, I'll be honest
0: with you, Owen, there was a, a very good I'm sorry to um, mention a competitor but I yes. spoke with Robbie from the inspirational Runners podcast, and he actually did a winter Dennis Rankin round special. I think it's about two hours long, and he I
1: saw it with some of the record holders,
0: and Niall uh, Niall Gibney, and Aaron Shibbins and myself, and we spilled the beans on all the wise where's So for that level of detail, I would recommend people to go to to Robbie's podcast. Finish your question. So for me, what I would love to do. I'd love to do the Bob Graham. I'd love to do the Charlie Ramsey. I'd love to do the Paddy Buckley. Um, but it's just a question of they're all on the UK mainland and I just have to work that out. But you see people in their 50s doing it and, you know, trotting around under 24. So, yeah, that would be my long-term goal to get all those kind of done because I've been in the district. I'd love to get to know the Lake District more. I'd love to be go around Ben Nevis, you know, around Snowden. So that would be my ultimate goal.
1: Brilliant. And more it maybe to come full circle on our interview today. We've mentioned what the, the book is about. And for people that are listening in, that maybe have family members, friends, or, or partners that are going through tough times, that are maybe suffering from depression that that Pete did, um, where should they go for help? What advice? Although I know it's very very hard to give advice to anybody. Everybody's story is always very different. Even maybe what message would you like to give to people that have are going through that have gone through a tough time, especially over the last twelve months?
0: That's a very difficult question because ultimately I'm not a doctor, and I think the important thing yeah. is to remember that depression is a medical illness. Yeah. If. I'm sure people have heard this, but if there's, you've had somebody had a broken leg, and you felt responsible for fixing that broken leg, you think that'd be kind of strange. But mm. for some reason, when it comes to mental health, people think that friends and family can can fix that their friend their their, their loved one. But it's not, you know, it's it does involve medication and it does involve counseling and it does involve a lifestyle lifestyle choices um you know where maybe exercise might help or whatever but i you know i can't give that level of advice and also because you see one of the things which is quite difficult is that you know pete did follow the medical guidance and still it didn't work so it's it's very difficult for me to know i i that's why I, why I wanted to do Happy Out Adventures is because I feel that the mountains have always helped me mentally and physically. And so I, I, I hope that maybe there's somebody, I might prevent somebody from doing something where they felt they had to hurt themselves, where yeah. they have the skills to be able to go into the mountains and get some respite and actually maybe come back down the mountain and feel like they didn't need to do that. So that I, I'm, my hope is I'm doing more prevention than cure. Um, yeah. But I do realise that we are in a diff, very difficult time. I was very fortunate that I had contact with an organisation called PIPS in Uri, and they help people who are, um, the who are affected by suicide. And they have been wonderful in terms of keeping contact with me. And they are a resource if my children also have any need to process what happens, that they are there as well. So there is help there. Um, and, but the main thing is just realizing how rife it is and you are not alone. Not yeah. alone. If I could even own, the book has been released two weeks and I, my inbox is full of stories. Of people saying, "Me too. Me, I had this loss. Me, i suffered from mental health issues. My partner has suffered from mental health issues. It is rife, and that's from the. It's that's mainly from the mountain and running community.
1: More. If people want to get the book, where's the best place that they can get the book from? Um,
0: if you're in the south, uh, Easons have lots of copies, or you can get it direct from the publisher, O'Brien Press. Um, there's the main place, or you, of course, you can always pick it up off Amazon.
1: Brilliant. Okay, well, Moira, thanks a million for for chatting to us today. I I must admit, Moira, I thoroughly enjoyed the last 24 hours as I was getting ready for today's chat because I I was reading just about your incredible life story over the last 15 years. Um, And I saw one article that listed all the different places that you had ran in. You mentioned some of them earlier on, Bali, Bangladesh, Cambodia, Democratic Republic of Congo, Hong Kong, Kenya, that the list goes on. And then, of course, all those wonderful sporting achievements, setting up a new company. So you're, you're an inspiration um, to many. And it's been a wonderful privilege for me just finding out about, about your, your last 15 years and talking to you today. And more long, may your great writing continue. And I look forward to, to reading the first four books. I haven't read them yet. And Um, hopefully there'll be a couple more over the next couple of years you're very
0: kind and it's been a privilege to talk to you sure i'm your greatest fan
1: (laughs) thanks a little more we'll talk again soon hopefully thanks very much take care Many thanks to Moira for joining us today and inspiration in so, so many ways. And I have the feeling that we'll all be hearing a lot more from moira over the coming weeks not just within the running and the sporting community but as her story gets told at a national level and i joked with her that i expect her to be on joe duffy or ryan tuberty sometime soon so i'll have to ask her to give us all a all of us crazy mountain and trail runners give us a big shout out when she's live to the nation with joe or with mr tuberty but on a serious note everybody if you are affected in any way by what you may have heard today, do reach out, do ask for help. Aware the Samaritans, Pieta House. they are all there to help and you can find their details with a very simple and quick Google search that's it for me for this week everyone many thanks for listening in do check out our patreon page if you would like to support the show keep on running everyone and as we said at the top of the show before you know it we will be back out training as normal and we will be back racing on our beloved mountains. stay positive stay well stay safe everybody let's get our running gear on let's go